welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who doesn't want to leave the Total Soccer Show. Not now, not in 2021. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello, but we never know what the future holds, Daryl. That's the way to keep it open-ended and ambiguous so I get a new contract. How dare you? I hope the Football Ramble people aren't listening. (laughs) I have an American (laughs) accent. I'm not sure that would fly. (laughs) Yeah, maybe you'd be uh, filling a quota. You never know. You never know. <laughs> um, on today's show... Now, now you're today- doing the rumor-mongering for me, and I appreciate I it. <laughs> so obviously we started with rumors because mm-hmm. there have been all those Leo Messi rumors. We're going we're gonna to get into that. We tracked the rumor to its source as best we could. Some um, not quite journalistic, but pretty intrepid work from the two of us, I think. Mm. Um, We're also going to preview the Champions League semi-finals with the things we're looking out for. Things to look out for in the Champions League semi-finals. That's Leipzig versus PSG for Tuesday and Lyon versus Bayern Munich for Wednesday. And then later in the show, right at the end, we're going to talk NWSL and the Sam Mewis and Rose Lavelle transfers to Manchester City. Big spend in Manchester City. Shocker. Um, Shocker. Let's start, though, Taylor, with the Leo Messi rumours. Mm-hmm. So not, not long after the um, 8-2, it hurts me to say it, I'm not even a Barcelona fan. It's just such a big score. The 8-2 defeat to Bayern Munich. Um, a rumour started popping around, because that's what rumours do, uh, that Leo Messi wants to leave Barcelona, and not in June 2021, when his current contract expires. He wants out right now. He mm-hmm. wants to leave Barcelona right now. Right. And uh, I was like not around a TV screen yesterday. Uh, so I think when we were planning what we were going to talk about on the show, you said like, oh, we should probably talk Messi, which made me immediately start frantically Googling what had happened with Lionel Messi. And there were all yeah. these reports of, yeah, Messi wants to leave. Messi states his desire to leave. And every single article I clicked on was Rio Ferdinand says Lionel Messi <laughs> must want to leave and things of that nature. So then I appreciate you actually doing the digging and kind of tracing it all back to, I guess, one source more or less. Yeah, it's a Brazilian uh, journalist, but based in Barcelona. You sure he's Marcelo, not Spanish? You sure? Marcelo Bachelor. How dare you? Um, <laughs> there, there are still tweets coming in. Today. I know. Still tweet. I mean, he was in Barcelona, and I just made the assumption, right? <laughs> yeah. But a Brazilian journalist who is Barcelona-based, his name is Marcelo uh, Bachelor. Mm-hmm. he released a report saying um, that basically he's going to keep his source anonymous, but someone inside Barcelona... Um, told him, quote, I've never seen Messi so much out of Barcelona in all these years as right now, unquote. Um, And Marcelo Bechler also said, the information we have here in Barcelona this Sunday, August 16th, is that Leo Messi wants to leave Barcelona now and Barca's management already received a notification about this. So essentially, um, he is not happy with the... The next season, the project of next season, he has no confidence after the 8-2 defeat and he wants to leave Barcelona as of now. So Marcelo Bechler, from what I understand, is a very serious journalist with proper contacts. I believe he's the person who first reported the Neymar to PSG story. At the very least, he was very early in on that story. And I believe from what I have read, it was a similar sort of, I have a source who says this move has more substance to it than we might think. Something along those lines. So I think it's the same sort of reliable source within Barcelona, who knows what position that might be, has reliable information that can be passed on. The question then is not necessarily how reliable is that information, but what do we make of that information? Because you could take it as Messi really does want to leave and Man City confirmed, PSG confirmed, maybe or we could see it as a little bit of gamesmanship or maybe something else entirely 
Before we dig into it, can I, can I please just take a second to credit the people who did do the translating for sure. us? Um, so actually, quite a few people in the end translated on Twitter for us, so thank you to all of them. But the two people who simultaneously did it first, one via email and one via Twitter, um, Jose Era and Andrew Carton, both translated like the entire, the entire uh, Marcelo Bechler uh, quote um, and report for us. It also, Taylor, before we dig into it, I want to talk about this a second as well. I've started to realize that this has become the problem with reading news stories online when they're based on a report to camera, which is now more and more uh, happens more and more. Right. Like a journalist saying something to camera. Um, it seems like that it just seems harder for people to uh, to cite to that source because it's a, a video as opposed to a bit of text. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, it's that, it, it's. It's strange, though, right? Because it still feels like, well, where is the reliable written down source that we can then go to? We need quotations. Otherwise, we don't know for sure. And then we're reading stories in English. And of course, um, as we all now know, um, this report was in Brazilian flavored Portuguese. (laughs) Um, So I can also see why maybe if you're writing for an English outlet, you wouldn't embed the video because your readers are going to be like, well, I can't understand what he's what he's saying. Right. (laughs) Um, So anyway, there's your source. And it seems that... um, the way I look at this, to answer your question that you asked me about five minutes ago, is this doesn't definitely mean that Leo Messi is leaving right now. But um, if we, and I do, assume that Marcelo Bechelet's reporting is accurate, his source is real, we, I do believe that Leo Messi said to the Barcelona board, I want out yeah, right now. Yeah? I agree. I agree. Okay. I think the motivation for that is where maybe I have a little bit bit of curiosity because it could well be as i said that he is genuinely stating a a desire to move on he doesn't feel like it's going to work out he doesn't feel like they're moving in the direction that he wants the club to be moving i do think more likely is that it's a teeny tiny bit like a teeny tiny tony soprano uh suggesting that you make some revisions to your business plan like it sort of is a suggestion that is not a suggestion it's basically him saying here is my current position if you all don't make some changes that I think need to be made, then I will continue to pursue this course of action. If you do make some changes, then maybe I'll be inclined to stay. So you're saying it's a flex, basically. It's a little bit, yeah. saying, I will make sure I leave right now unless you get this house in order. Yes, yes. The and problem that- is, though, Taylor, we mm-hmm. don't know, obviously, we don't know what Leo Messi thinks getting this house in order means, right? I would love to know what Leo Messi thinks needs to change at Barcelona. I think we've already gotten a few indicators. I think he okay. did not love Kike Setien. Uh, Kike Setien has been sacked after six mm-hmm. months in charge. Uh, by all accounts... Lived the sport- fan's dream, though. Lived the super fan's dream. <laughs> he sure did. Uh, and we saw what that ends up looking like with him on the sidelines, looking dejected and yeah. slightly uh, like in the crucifixion pose as well. I think a few, <laughs> more than a few people have pointed out. That was an odd way to end it all. Uh, but then... According to reports, sporting director Eric Abidal, who was brought in to sort of be the the locker room friendly face, has not been the locker room friendly face. The reporting is that he is very likely to follow suit and he will also part ways. Uh, Presidential elections have been brought forward to this coming March. They were supposed to be, I think, the March after this one. Uh, Bartomeu is still refusing to resign. uh, He's the president, for those who don't know, right? Thank you. But I believe I'm correct in saying that he cannot run again. So the idea is that he was going to run a sort of status quo candidate who would have reflected the current board. Now maybe that won't end up being the case. But either way, I think we are seeing a few changes from Barcelona already. Not saying that those are just because of Lionel Messi saying he might want to move. Uh, Maybe some of those were pre-planned already. Some of them kind of... Uh, indicated bad blood behind the scenes or what have you. But I think there's a little bit of uh, connection there for sure. I would bet if I'm Josep Bartomeu, 
and I want to you want to stay in power as long as possible right so why would you cut your term short by a year unless someone had like twisted your arm behind your back yeah I, I think right that makes, it should be like if, if Donald Trump had said hey we should do the election in November 2015 <laughs> you know what I'm saying <laughs> let's not joke about that okay <laughs> But but I think it's a good a good analogy at least in a way because why else would he move it forward a year apart from mm. unless he'd come under this type of pressure from Lionel Messi? I'm kind of trying to connect dots here, but I'm pretty it, it all makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean I think if you are in Bartomeu's position, which is a not very popular one at present and in the last couple of years for sure, then maybe this is the sort of thread that you can split, that you're not going to resign, but you know things can't stay exactly as they have been. So you agree to move the elections forward, but you have to stay in power until there's a logical takeover. We can't just rush these types of things. I think it's like a way to justify your continued involvement so that I do think this is kind of it, that like then you can continue to be around the club. If you step away in disgrace... I don't know if you get to go to games as much and be around board members <laughs> as much. Like, I do think that's part of You have to go watch Espanol. Leg- yeah, your legacy is tainted. You've <laughs> got to go somewhere else. <laughs> you have to turn up with a very sad face at Espanol home matches. Or, or just like a Pep Guardiola mask and hope that no one notices. <laughs> well, speaking of Pep Guardiola, mm-hmm. he, is not, he is not the next rumoured coach of Barcelona to replace Setien. The big, big rumour, and Barcelona have promised an announcement coming pretty soon. The big, big rumour is current Netherlands national team coach, former Barcelona player, Ronald Koeman. Mm-hmm. But it seems very unlikely because Koeman didn't want to leave the Dutch squad before the Euros. Oh, wait, that was last January. This time around, he's okay with it, since we're having the Euros again because we didn't have them the first time. I mean, I, I have no idea like what the... Um if it's a strong pull for Kuman, like if, if I'm, an, I don't know, I, I, very, I very strongly favor national team soccer. It's, like, it's my favorite. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine doing like what Lapetegui did before the World Cup uh, for Spain. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine leaving the Dutch national team job if I'm, a, if I'm a, a Dutch person. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But maybe the pull of Barcelona is strong enough that Kuman might be uh, tempted to go and take over. My question is, if it is Kuman, what do we read into that? I think we read into it a couple different things, neither of which, to be perfectly honest, is positive. Uh, mm-hmm. This is Ronald Koeman, who was approached, uh, according to reports, last January before they gave the job to Setien. He didn't take the job because he was going to stick with the Dutch for the Euros. I guess four months is a, is a big difference maker. He's got four more months to get used to things this time around. But he, is, he took that Dutch job because things didn't work out at Everton and because he wasn't as in demand of a name as he was, certainly when he was having the success he was with Southampton. So I think what that says is they're looking at their realistic options. Pochettino is one who gets thrown around a lot. I, I don't think Guardiola was going to leave. Xavi has publicly stated he is not taking over or he will not consider it until there's new people in charge. So with that in mind, I think they've got to go with whomever they can get. Ronald Koeman, former Everton manager, uh, former former Dutch manager, or current Dutch manager, but former national team manager, uh, like has a little bit of that reputation, has that connection to Barcelona from his playing days. So I think you can look at it as like, oh, yeah, we're bringing through a former legend who has coaching experience, who's going to kind of set us on the right track and is familiar with the Barcelona style. But I would swing that around to this is Barcelona who see, see themselves as the biggest club in the world, if not one of the biggest clubs in the world. And to have to go with Ronald Koeman, I doubt is what they were hoping for maybe at this time last season or the season before. Yeah, I can see the appeal of Koeman is if you assume that Xavi was their first choice last time round and maybe even this time round, um, 
Kuman has the thing in common with Xavi that he's a Barcelona legend, right? right? Like maybe some of our listeners who are younger might not know about this, but when Barcelona won their first European Cup in 92, the precursor to the Champions League, it was on a Ronald Koeman free kick. I feel right? I need to he clarify is. that I was eight when that happened. So I am one of those younger people. Well, there, so there you go. But you, you knew that Kuman played for Barcelona, I did, right? But I did, I'm not yes. sure if you knew what an absolute legend he was there. Like the, I don't know if it's still there, but in the Barcelona Museum, there used to be um, like a free kick simulator machine called the Kuman machine. <laughs> and you could try and take free kicks like Ronald Kuman, right? He was, he was that popular. He played under Johan Cruyff. It was part of the, the Cruyff uh, dream team. And he played alongside Pep Guardiola. And the reason I'm saying all this is if you're building the case of um, someone the someone the fans will be happy with and someone who is connected to the Barcelona legacy, then I can see why Kuman from a board perspective makes sense. But I'm interested would... in what he is as like where he, where his standing is in terms of coaches because he seems to just bounce back and forth between success and failure, right? Like he had put a great Southampton team together, a not great Everton team, and his current Dutch team is really really good, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think then what we probably have to like step back and take into account is the British American Western perspective versus a Spanish Barcelona perspective. Simply that like I think to a lot of people, like the way I've seen English media cover this and a lot of the English the people who are commenting who clearly seem to be English are sort of like, Oh wow, like this guy who can't even have any success at Everton is now gonna take over Barcelona. Like, yeah, that's great. Versus I do wonder if there is sort of a reverence for him from Barca fans or from the older generation of Barca fans who are now in power. And maybe it's not as big of a deal because they look at what he was trying to do it fits with what they would like to do he, obviously he's going to have more resources or we would assume he'd have more resources at barcelona so it's a match made in heaven is what maybe they're trying to tell themselves a little bit <laughs> and like playing style wise he seems to be like a little bit cruyff a little bit van Gaal, like a little mm-hmm. bit guardiola a little bit van Gaal, like some weird mix of that barcelona dutch system but i couldn't quite put a name on exactly what it is that a ronald koeman team looks like i assume it will just look like a barcelona team um my question is, what does this mean um, in terms of Leo Messi? Yeah. Like, what does, because one of the things we hear is that Leo Messi basically has a lot of power. He's flexing that power right now by forcing the club to shake up its entire operation. Um, would Ronald Koeman come in and, you know, he'd be sort of weirdly subservient to Leo Messi? Or does Ronald Koeman have the stature, like, as maybe not a coaching legend, but a Barcelona legend, to come in and, you know, sort of tell Leo Messi what to do? I am familiar enough with that question you just asked, that style of question, to know that as you started to ask the second part, you already knew the answer. So you had to try to make it a little bit stronger. I but don't. Yeah. I honestly I, don't, because it could also be that like Messi has a lot of respect for Kuman, and so Kuman would be able to come in and demand certain things of him. I mean, wasn't there? You were telling me off air there was a story yeah. you read about a request Setian made that caused trouble. I think it was the, the first day of training when they were doing small-sided games. There's a position uh, I, we would call it like all-time offense. I guess they call it the Joker, but it's imagine if you're playing 5v5 plus 1. That plus 1 is whoever has the ball, he's on their team. That was, I guess, always Lionel Messi when they did these types of drills. And when Setien came in, he wanted to rotate that, and he gave Messi like a bib for one of the two teams. And it was apparently this sort of like, um, no, like that's not what happens here sort of moment. And I think they were several of those along the way that made Lionel Messi feel like this this person is not really understanding the situation at this club. And I don't necessarily even mean that from an arrogance, like I'm Keith Hernandez standpoint, but more of a just like, <laughs> this person is kind of at odds with stuff. They're kind of approaching this from a, oh yeah, you're just another team. There were, there were stories about him sort of doing some kids training drills that the, made the players feel like you don't have like the pedigree of a player 
to sort of ask us to do some of these things that you would ask children to do. And, and so I take your point that if Messi has a reverence for Kuman or there is an understanding of what Kuman meant for Barcelona in the past... Which I, then I don't maybe, know. I'm, spe- I'm speculating exactly. that that exists. Yeah. Then if there is that, then maybe there's a little bit of leeway. But I still think fundamentally it is going to be Kuman coming in and sort of de- doing a Roberto Di Matteo, Rafa Benitez job of, hey, uh, w- what they did for Chelsea specifically, uh, of like, hey, let's make everybody happy. And like, Messi, you want to go there? Okay, we'll build around that. Mm-hmm. Like, Pique, you want to do this? That's fine. Suarez, you want that? Fine. The like, one... The one thing I do know about Ronald Koeman, though, I've, so I'm, I've sort of been like trawling through my brain to try and mm-hmm. see, if, see if there are any files left in there that I remember about Ronald Koeman. Um, and I do remember that he seems to bring or give young players a chance wherever he's been, right? Like mm-hmm. he was the coach that let Tom Davies and Mason Holgate play for Everton. He brought through some young players at Southampton. He definitely did the same in the Eredivisie where he's managed, what, like Feyenoord, PSV, Ajax. Um, so maybe Ronald Koeman makes sense as a as a player, uh, sorry, as a coach who is going to play Ricky Pooge and play uh, Ansu Fati and like, give some of those youngsters a chance. Would you rather be coached by Ronald Koeman or would you rather be coached by Andrea Pirlo? I mean, Koeman has a better <laughs> resume. Pirlo seems more fun. He has a resume, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is, the, and I, I ask that sort of from an absurd standpoint, but also because... With these types of appointments at major clubs, sometimes they don't seem to make sense and then they end up not making sense. And sometimes they don't seem to make sense and end up working out spectacularly. And yeah. sometimes it's in between. So we, yeah, we like, when, really know- like when Barcelona gave the job to the B team coach. Pepe yeah, right. Mariola. Yeah. Who, yeah. who would have thought that would have worked out? Or like that time Real Madrid were like, hey, you know what, guy who coaches our second team, why don't you come in and see what happens? And <laughs> that worked out as well. Uh, it has also not worked out pretty, pretty spectacularly in other situations. So I, I do think that will be the sort of story that I want to hear more about as we get closer to the restart of the season or the start of the new season. I forget. Time is meaningless. It doesn't matter. Um, I, like, is there are there stories about like Messi loving his new role in training or Messi already annoyed yeah, yeah. because he was given an orange bib instead of a yellow? <laughs> can Kuman give Messi a bib um, <laughs> if, before we move on I do want to talk about the idea of Messi leaving right mm-hmm. if, if for somehow he's still not happy and this is more than just a muscular flex um, and it, this is really as Messi saying he wants to leave his release clause is 700 million euros or right. there or thereabouts right nobody's paying that mm-hmm. right not, I don't think even Man City or PSG are paying 700 million euros for a 33 year old footballer in the middle of the coronavirus no. pandemic the FFP implications alone even Man City and PSG would get in trouble <laughs> with FFP yeah. if they spent 700 million on a player but my guess is that someone somewhere would be willing to pay quite a lot of money uh, to get Messi this summer or whatever we're calling this period this transfer window and then at least enough, they could offer enough money that Barcelona might look at it as, well, we're losing him for free at the end yeah. of next season. So maybe we can get $100 million for him right now. That, that would be, I think, the only way it happens is if it, it does turn out that he is 100% genuine. I'm ready for a new challenge. I need to move on. Yeah. What have you. Maybe even if they can structure it as a like, it's time for us to really move in a new direction. We want to bring through the youngsters and we appreciate all he's done, but we're going to let him go and pursue his yeah. career and pursue new opportunities. Do you know what? If I, if I won the Barcelona presidential election or if I ran in the Barcelona presidential mm-hmm. election, that is the possibly unpopular but actual platform that i would run on sell messi uh don't pay his wages anymore obviously because we've sold him reinvest all that money in some smart new acquisitions and bringing youth players through new era vote daryl 
The issue that <laughs> so I, I I admire your candidacy and I admire that position. I think you might instantly run into problems because the thing and we texted about this a little bit before we started recording. The thing that I kept being confused by in all of the stories about Barcelona's dysfunction and and everything that's happened to them was the Neymar move and how sort of the board seems to have seen that as like the worst possible thing that's happened and that they lost this player. He was supposed to be the heir apparent and it and whereas I think with a lot of clubs like even Manchester United getting rid of Ronaldo, it felt like this big moment that they like weren't this dominant team. Yeah, it's a loss of status, right? It's a loss of status. Right, but it seems like rather than that be sort of a, yeah, it's rough, but it's kind of part and parcel of the game. For Barcelona, it seems to have been this massive blow both to the ego and the reputation and everything else. So if that was Neymar, I cannot imagine their hand being forced into getting rid of Lionel Messi is a thing that they would be comfortable dealing with. Yeah, and that's, but that's the, the problem, problem, right? Yeah. That's why they're in a bit of trouble, is that they right. have that approach of like losing players is the worst thing ever, and you've got to go mm-hmm. and sign three more 100 million euro players, even if, yes. they're, even if they're not actually as good. Yeah. Um, or, or even if we don't actually need them. Um, I'm, to be honest, I'm sort of trying to give people what they want as well, because if you can't talk about a Leo Messi potential transfer mm-hmm. without talking about potential destinations, right? So I'm looking at PSG as a place that would spend the money. I'm looking at Man City yep. like, as a place that might spend the money. And then the big rumour seems to be Inter in Serie A. But I keep seeing that there's actually been no approach from Inter and no contact, and that that's just people putting two and two together and making a transfer rumour. I will say comfortably there's 0% chance he moves to Inter Milan under Antonio Conte because that system doesn't work with Lionel Messi in there, I don't think. How would you uh, feel so- about the Victor Moses role there? <laughs> uh, You'll be Hakimi's backer. <laughs> Like if, and you if run he, up and down the right flank. If he was angry about not being on like the small sided team he wanted to be on, the idea of being put at left wing back or right wing back, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that's going to go over. So I think and it watch does what Ashley Young does and just see <laughs> see if you can copy it. The the only <laughs> other thing, uh, so I think you're absolutely right that it's it's probably those two teams are way out front because of the financial aspect of things. The only other thing I could see is if he truly wanted to like quote unquote challenge himself, like it. If if it was maybe go back to Argentina where he left when he was 12, like to go play for Newell's Old Boys or something like that, or maybe go to Major League Soccer and try it there, like, or, or follow the Ronaldo route and go to like a very successful big club in another area. Maybe it's that too. But aside from those, I think the only one when it comes down to the financial thing is going to be the teams that are backed by oil money, basically. <laughs> All right, then. Fun question. A realistic European transfer. Mm-hmm. Where would you like to see him go? Um, like Manchester United could be an option, right? That could be a thing they just throw all the money at. Yeah, I I think it'd be fun to get him in Serie A somewhere, just so we once again have the Ronaldo Messi just in a different country. <laughs> um, I'm trying to th- like I I think Arsenal could have been very very fun, except you know I don't know if they're ever going to spend that money, and they just spent a lot of that money on Willian's salary, so yeah. who knows what's going to go on there? I, that's a tough one, man. I think it's just because I've automatically assumed it would either be PSG or Man City. Maybe like Barcelona or maybe uh, Bayern Munich would be fun just to see Oof. how else they could fit in another ridiculously talented footballer. I mean, good luck dislodging Serge Gnabry, I say. <laughs> uh, we'll, talk, we'll talk about Bayern later on. Mm-hmm. But the Total Sox Show take right now is we think this was a messy muscle yep. flex. And he's probably got what he wanted in terms of Bartomeu moving the date of the election forward a year and Kike Setien being fired yeah. and maybe Ronald Koeman coming in is enough uh, for Messi to you know to to be okay with 
Plus that uh, the, re- the, re- the fake retirement from Argentina in 2016, which was kind of a, a tantrum. Um, that's harsh, but you know he was heavily criticised. He was basically sick of it, um, and then coming back two months later to play international football again. Yeah. For me, he has previous in terms of saying big dramatic things, but mostly to try and either it's just an emotional response, or it's then he's trying to influence what happens and using his exit as a threat. Yeah, and and I should add, like, because I've been sort of teasing Messi, and I'm sure it's upset him. I'm sure he's listening <laughs> and is devastated. Uh, like, I should He'll add, never listen that- again. You probably won't. Uh, I don't really like like uh, hate him for this. Like I think it's it's a thing that sometimes happens. Like the last time, the one that comes most readily to mind is Kobe Bryant putting in his no trade clause, and there was speculation at the time about like or consternation at the time about like how can you give a player that much control? Like how and he and he does end up going on to I think like nix a couple trade deals because they don't fit with what he wants. And you can see that as this like like arrogance, this hubris of like wait, you know, wait, I'm, sorry. I'm so I didn't, big. I didn't know the story. Kobe Bryant's no trade clause was he could veto trades that the team was yes. making. It's no, for, his, for his him, no, for him, for yes. him. Yeah. So okay, it, yeah. it was if they're gonna. I think it was to the Bulls is the package that was put together, and he and he said no. Yeah, I mean that's uh, just controlling your own future, right? I do right. that if I if I accumulated any power in the NBA, that's the first thing I'd ask for. Exactly, and I guess that's what I mean here is that Barcelona have sort like very much utilized Lionel Messi to to make money, to sell sponsorships, to find success on the field, and have ridden his talent literally and figuratively to to winning silverware and winning matches that maybe they otherwise wouldn't have, and so I think. It, it makes sense. It is the necessary aspect of the relationship that if you are going to sort of put all this pressure and all of this weight on that relationship, then there deserves to be some compensation. And if it is then that you're sort of asking him to spend his entire career there, then I think you are going to end up with a player who then feels justified in asking for some semblance of control. I hope it's not that like he is interviewing Ronald Koeman. That might be a step too far, <laughs> but I don't begrudge him for I, exercising that level of control. That's interesting. I agree with you in terms of exercising a level of control like at a boardroom type level. I still think he should just wear the bib. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I don't in, disagree with you. Like, there. Don't that's try fair. and influence what's going on on the field because you mm-hmm. just never get a functional team if it, if it works that way. Yeah, there's, there's a difference between saying like I am trying to protect my brand, protect my, my image and my salary, and if it's not going to work, if it's just going to be us getting beaten all the time, I'm going to move elsewhere where I'm going to have more success. That's one thing. But yeah, to your point, if it is also a new manager coming in and saying, like, actually, I want you to go back out on the left, but then you're going to do this and you're going to do that in this situation, and him just saying, like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to play where I want to play then it's a larger issue. Then I wouldn't support him quite so much. Yeah, send him to Antonio Conte. Yeah. Um, All right, so the Leo Messi story, the Barcelona story, the Ronald Koeman story will, I'm sure, develop over the next week or two. So we'll uh, we'll keep on top of it. Maybe we'll try and get some um, expert guests on to uh, to give us a bit of an insight. Uh, before we talk Champions League semi-final previews, today's show is sponsored by... Ernest. Mm-hmm. Ernest, now is the time to get your student loan payments under control. You could be saving by refinancing your student loans with Ernest. Interest rates have hit a record low, which means it's a great time to refinance your student loans and see if you can lower your monthly payment. Because, Dara, I don't know if you know this or not, but a lower monthly payment uh, is ideal. It's good to not have to spend so much money. Spending less money is better than spending more money. That's Tell the, Barcelona that, by the way. That's the total soccer <laughs> show promise. Um, even if you've refinanced before today's low-rate um, environment, um, most people could still save by refinancing again. Um, checking your new rate is fast and easy. You just complete a few questions online, takes like two minutes, and you'll get a personalized rate estimate without affecting your credit score. I'm glad they said that. I never know what affects my credit score. Yeah, it- 
it's a it's a conundrum, and I feel like it's intentionally designed to be confusing. So thanks <laughs> well, for that. But Ernest uh, Ernest does not affect your credit score if no. you complete the uh, the two minute the two minute quiz. If you do that, and then if you've been making the same monthly payment on your student loans for the last couple of years, odds are you can reduce your payment because you've shown that you're reliable, and also you've probably paid it down a little bit so that then adjusting it makes sense. So you can get a $100 cash bonus when you re- refinance a student loan with earnest.com slash TSS. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. Once again, uh, that's earnest.com slash TSS. <laughs> I like this system. This is good. I like this system. <laughs> Not available in all states. Do you want me to do um, all the, uh, what, what do we call this? All the uh, the details, Taylor, or do you want to do it? I'm taking a sip. I'm getting ready. <clears throat> <laughs> Terms and conditions apply. Earnest student loan refinance loans are made by Earnest Operations, LLC, NMLS, number 1204917, California Financing Law License, number 6054788303, 2nd Street, Suite 401 North, San Francisco, California, 94107. Visit earnest.com slash licenses for a full list of licensed states. Wow, that went long. Delightful. And once again, visit earnest.com slash TSS for more details. Thank you to Earnest for sponsoring today's show. I'm going to like, like someone's going to insert like, and also I void my soul and I'm going to like read that right out real fast. And suddenly it's going to be a verbally binding agreement. Let's not do that. folks. Let's not do that, Ernest. Let's just stick to helping people save money on their student loans, not stealing my soul. Absolutely. All right. Let's, <laughs> move, on. Let's move on to the Champions League semifinals. Mm-hmm. So up first on Tuesday, three o'clock Eastern on Tuesday on CBS All Access and on uh, Today NA, it is Tyler Adams's RB Leipzig against Neymar's PSG. That's how I'm uh, framing this. That is how I think most Americans will be framing it. That's how Grant Wall framed it. Is that right? is Did one of my. Really? I think he said, like, so, so exciting to get to watch an American in the Champions League semifinals yes. tomorrow. That is where I would like to start because right. one of my questions I'm, I'm paying attention to is, are we going to get an American in the Champions League semifinals? Uh, he did not start, obviously, in the last leg, uh, in the last round, that is. Uh, he came out as a substitute, scores the winner. Uh, <laughs> my assumption is that we'll see something along those lines this time, but I'm wondering, Daryl, if you have thoughts on that as well. I think the same, yeah. I yeah. think Tyler Adams will play in this semifinal um, because he does seem to be one of the first off the bench right Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think he starts I was wavering thinking maybe scoring the you know scoring the winner might have (laughs) might have uh, swung it in his favor with Nagelsmann but then uh, you directed me to um, a Michael Cox article on The Athletic where Michael Cox essentially really highlighted the relationship between Conrad Lehmer and Marcel Sabitzer uh, Mm -hmm. the combo that plays sort of central midfield and that weird right-sided position. And they essentially spend half the game switching back and forth and rotating positions. And they almost have this telepathic understanding, right? Yeah. As Lema and Sabitzer. It's no coincidence that they're both Austrian as well. I think they've sort of come up together in a lot of ways. Um, so I think essentially the big problem for Tyler Adams in terms of cracking the starting 11 is that uh, Nagelsmann is probably not keen to break up that really tightly linked pair of Lehmer and Sabitzer and all the positional interplay that they bring. So I think short term in terms of this game, I think we probably see him stick with a somewhat similar approach. At the very least, I think that relationship does mean that the two of them start. The good thing with Julian Nagelsmann is that he's happy to change things up if the situation requires and do so pretty regularly and readily. So it's not to say then that Tyler Adams is always going to be second choice because of this relationship, because those two work so well together. But But if they do the similar thing, (laughs) 
then we expect that he probably will be on the bench. Yeah, but but I also really think he'll play because, you know, Sabitzer and Lehmer work really hard and one of them yeah. gets tired eventually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um, the other, another thing I'll be... Do you want to talk more Tyler Adams, or do you think that pretty much does it? No, I think that pretty much does it, other than that it will be wild to see an American in a Champions League semifinal if and when we do get to see Yes, it. I will be weirdly excited when it oh, yeah. when it happens, like more so than usual. There's also probably going to be a moment, because Tyler Adams tends to be like centre to the right. Neymar seems to be centre to the oh, left. Boy. We'll probably get a Neymar versus Tyler Adams moment, and I will be looking out for that, just because I just back Tyler Adams so much in terms of winning balls, winning 50-50s, or just applying pressure when someone has the ball, Adams versus Neymar could be uh, really something. How many How many more downloads do you think? What percentage do you think our downloads increase if we're able to title the show tomorrow, Tyler Adams beats Neymar? <laughs> A million more. A million percent more. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, what, what else are you going to be looking let's, for, Daryl? Let's just do it anyway, no matter what happens. Sure. <laughs> we can just claim that like that one minute that everybody missed, yeah. but we didn't. It happened. We'll do it don't worry North about Co- it. We'll do it North Korea style. <laughs> don't, don't fact check this. <laughs> All right, I want to get tactical for a second, Taylor. <laughs> okay. Because Julian Nagelsmann has given us mm-hmm. a really good tactical preview. Um, right. He gave this to Daniel Herzog of uh, Goal.com. It's actually quite a long quote, but I want to read it because Nagelsmann basically goes into detail about what Sort of, sort of detail about what he's planning to do against PSG. This sort of is my favorite part of this. But I have just, to just jump in there really fast to say that part. He doesn't quite give the exact detail, though, <laughs> nope. right? It's really interesting. All right, yep. so he starts with a cliche, but he gets more specific mm-hmm. from there. You ready? Yep. Nagelsmann says, when you're playing PSG, it is important to work collectively. Yeah, we've seen your team play. We know what's going on. Um, first and foremost, we have to make sure that we prevent the balls from getting deep which is a brilliant turn of phrase. Mm. Um, They have precise target areas in which they want to play in front of the opposing defensive chain. We have already come up with an idea of how to close these spaces. He goes on to say, the point is to perceive how much pressure the ball carrier has. Nevertheless, the opponent has an incredible individual quality, especially a lot of speed. At some point, they're unstoppable, not physically, but because if a player like Mbappe is one kilometer per hour faster than you, then that's it and you can't do anything about it. Um, I believe that we can hurt the opponent more if we ourselves have a lot of the ball and want to create opportunities. Right. So I think there are a couple of things worth pulling out here, Taylor. And like mm-hmm. I said, Nagelsmann is saying a lot, but also not quite, not quite showing his hand. Exactly. Right? It's like saying, I've got cards. <laughs> there are cards present are. on the table, and yeah. they may or may not be beneficial, and it's up to us to determine when those cards are beneficial and when our opponent has a situation in which they are no longer <laughs> beneficial. So I see basically three different things, okay? Um, so first of all, Nagelsmann has said um, that they have precise target areas in which they want to play in front of the opposing defensive chain. We have already come up with an idea of how to close those spaces. So they're going to try and deny PSG space um, in those areas in front of the opposing defensive chain, which I think means defenders and maybe defensive midfielders, right? And I'm imagining that as um, the areas where uh, especially Neymar and other attacking players will pick up the ball, maybe Mbappe, and try to go at you. This might mean a change in shape. It might mean an extra defensive midfielder. It might mean just having a, a high line. We don't, we don't quite know, do we? He's not saying exactly what they're going to do. But I'll be excited to look out for and see what it is that Julian Nagelsmann's doing to, um, to deny that space, right? Do you have any, is- any interpretation of that, that first bit? My new interpretation is that like this is the... 
like expected goal version of head games. That he sort of is saying, like, we know what they want to do. We know how they're going to do it. And more importantly, we know how we're going to prevent them from doing it, yeah. which I believe. I don't think that's just him saying nonsense. I think they do via, like, uh, reviewing footage and understanding what individual players want to do. I think they do have understanding of where PSG maybe want to play the ball, how they want their players to get it in what sort of positions. But I think he is being very coy and very vague about yeah. the specifics of it so, so that he's I'm, not giving anything away. But I'm kind of enjoying trying to figure out exactly yeah. what exactly what he's going to do. Right? <laughs> here's the, here's the, uh, the next part. The point is to perceive how much pressure the ball carrier has. This one threw me. So, again, I'm imagining the ball carrier as Neymar because he just so often is the ball carrier. When you right? say the ball carrier in reference to PSG, yes, you're talking about Neymar. You basically are, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, uh, the way I think of this is to perceive how much pressure the ball carrier has. Uh, one way of interpreting this is don't all get sucked into trying to tackle Neymar. <laughs> Let's yeah. not, like, we've got this very specific shape that uh, RB Leipzig have, right? Where we crowd one side or we crowd the middle. But we don't crowd around the ball and potentially get exploited. Because Neymar's quite good, or very, very good, at dragging, dragging five people in and then flicking a pass, like a clever little pass out and someone else is away. Because he's essentially then broken your defensive structure, right? But at the same time, you've got to put some pressure on Neymar. So right. what he's not giving away is we've decided how much pressure is going to be put on Neymar. Maybe it's like always one guy goes to him and then maybe one guy goes and helps. But we don't know, right? We don't know the number. We don't know how much pressure. But... I think it's really interesting that RB Leipzig will go out there with a plan of exactly how much pressure goes on the ball carrier, which isn't which, only Neymar. It's just mostly going to be Neymar. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a second, because I said that I made that joke and then I realized there may be another ball carrier that he might be referring to uh, potentially. And it's not Kylian Mbappe. But here, I think that distinction makes much more sense because I was confused by like as though he were talking. Uh, it's like when Ryan Howard apologizes for Ryan Howard's actions on The Office. It's like he refuses to take accountability, so he blames them on another person, which is him. That was what was throwing me off of like, well, we have to make sure that that team, us, is doing. But now I understand yeah. that it's more of it's not just we have to make sure he's under pressure. It's that the entire unit must understand how much pressure he is under at any given moment yeah. and whether or not that is enough or too much. Yeah, and we've decided, I think, in advance what it's going to be. Yeah. And then the final bit is, I think, really important. I believe that we can hurt the opponent more if we ourselves, a lot of mm -hmm. the ball and want to create opportunities. I think he means have a lot of the ball and yep. want to create opportunities. And we talked about this uh, last time, Taylor, right? That Leipzig are like a lot more possession-y than uh, we've come to expect. So yep. it wouldn't be a surprise to see Leipzig moving the ball around. No, and I, and I think that like the point there is pretty clear that you have Kylian Mbappe, who is incredibly fast, who it seems like will be able to start this game. So you don't really want him to have tons of space and have tons of time on the ball. Neymar can create. Angel Di Maria will be back. He can certainly create. So in this case, the best defense is a good offense. And you look at the way PSG could set up to defend. And maybe it's not as strong as it might be in other situations. And so there's that idea of, yeah, go at them, keep possession, keep the ball, put them under pressure, really force them onto their heels. And then maybe they're never able to fully get their game going the way they want. So let's talk, you mentioned some names there, Taylor. Let's mm -hmm. talk team news. Uh, sure. For example, Kylian Mbappe came off the bench because he'd had an ankle injury um, in PSG's last game. Um, got the assist, right? Had a massive, massive impact. No one else could have made that run at that pace to be on the end of that no. Neymar cross before he squared it. Um, the current word from Thomas Tuchel is that Mbappe uh, played the 30 minutes, was fine, 
and is in contention to start this game um, mm-hmm. against Leipzig, but we don't know if he can go 90 minutes, right? So, right. of course, he can start, Tuchel told reporters, but we will decide after training whether he can play 90 minutes. Here's mm-hmm. my, because I think that's big team news, obviously, because it's Kylian Mbappe, right? Um, my question to you is, if he can't play 90 minutes, would you start Mbappe and, like, get 60 minutes out of him, or would you bring Mbappe off the bench for some time in the second half? I have one clarification distinction here I, I think it it depends on the severity of the injury and how bad like the nagging injury might be because if it's just sort of like there's a little bit discomfort but you and I have both played through pain like you can kind of put it out of your mind once you're focused on the game it doesn't really hit until the next morning when suddenly your ankle doesn't work anymore if it's that sort of thing I think it's fine if it's that Diego Costa thing of he's torn a hamstring and we're going to try to start him and see yeah, what yeah. happens no I don't it's, think it's, it's that let, it's let's, just, let's just assume that um, it's about fitness in fact the full quote is um mm-hmm. Um, uh, he played 30 minutes against Atalanta and had no reaction talking about his ankle he has had six days since then to work on his fitness right Mm. so we'll decide after training whether he can play 90 minutes so let's just assume it's about um, there's no injury problem now there's just a match fitness problem if Mbappe can't play 90 but he can theoretically play 60 and then come off or can come on in the second half and you know have an impact late which would you do and I, I admit it's a tough question but that's why I'm asking you so I think the the logical answer is start him because Kylian Mbappe is a difference maker unlike many other unlike really any other player that I can think of like the speed the technical precision the finishing ability the lovely armpit celebration Mary Catherine Gallagher style <laughs> uh, I, so that, that's the key the only, right of course obviously the only wrinkle there would be that if it just completely throws off Julian Nagelsmann to like have accounted for him and then not have him start and then you bring him on as an impact sub but even then that's maybe a little bit overthinking versus put your best player on the field start him there and then if it's not going well sub him off or change it up a little bit if you need to but I would probably start killing Mbappe provided he can play those 60 minutes okay um so that'll be a thing to look out for essentially I mean it's the first thing I'll look for no it's the second mm-hmm. thing I'll look for first is Tyler Adams is he in is he starting probably won't be but then second is Kylian Mbappe starting or not I've got three potential other will they won't they start yeah, uh, go for players it. for PSG yeah. we know uh, Angel Di Maria will be back he's back from suspension so that's not an issue the next one moves to Keylor Navas who will be out we know that for sure uh, tore his, ham- his hamstring against Atalanta which means Sergio Rico will uh, be between the sticks uh, so I don't really know much about Sergio Rico I just know that Keylor Navas is incredibly good and did make some big saves early on in that game against Atalanta so it will be interesting to see what Sergio Rico is able to do when yeah. he does start but then the other players that I would point to as being perhaps maybe more critical uh, which is strange to say about a goalkeeper would be uh, Idrissa Ganagay's fitness uh, he has a lingering muscle issue yeah. that means he might not be and ready to go and he is the most defensive of PSG's right. midfielders even if you include Marquinhos I would argue mm-hmm. that Idrissa Ganagay <laughs> is the most defensive of PSG's midfielders yeah Marquinhos scored man there you yeah. go that's all you need <laughs> uh, but then the other big question mark seems to be around Marco Verratti hey. who depending on reporting is definitely not playing or definitely could play uh, so make of that what you will but the issue there and he is the player the only other player I was thinking maybe Julian Nagelsmann was referring to when he talked about the player who's carrying the ball yes, because that absolutely. is 
such an important role that Verratti is able to do of be one of those sort of three more defensive midfielders if that's the approach they take, or even if they're in like a 4-2-3-1 or what have you. He can do the defensive job, uh, like not like, you know, like a full-on like ball-tackling, like really aggressive guy, but he does the defensive work, but then importantly is the transition midfielder and can play those yes. balls for him, can be a creative force. So he adds just another element to that PSG team that I don't know how they replace if he's not there. Then again, it wasn't a major issue in their last game, so maybe they're able to deal with it just fine. But that I- could be the love, other player, I think. I love Marco Verratti. I love watching mm-hmm. him play. He's one of those players that can just hold on to the ball and twist and turn and pull out a couple of moves and find whatever little bit of space there is and get away from you and then find a pass. He's yeah. so, so good at doing that. So I think I'll be really looking forward to seeing is when Leipzig apply pressure to the very pressure-resistant Marco Verratti, what happens, right? Because it, yeah. it, it could be a magnificent uh, display from Verratti or it could be, you know, a not fully fit, not fully sharp Verratti under pressure and coughing up the ball. It's, it's really interesting to see what happened. The latest I've read on Verratti is that he's resumed full training following right. a calf injury, but resuming full training is not the same as being ready to go against RB Leipzig. It is not, but then if you did, if you don't have Gay, if you have to go some, somewhere else, there is that idea that maybe you could go too defensive. Your midfield cannot be creative enough, and that was a thing that was pointed to as a problem when they were playing Atalanta. Why they didn't look so good? Why Neymar kept having to drop so deep in that first half was because there just wasn't enough midfield creativity. If you don't have Verratti, if you don't have Adrisa Gana Gay, I'm not sure who goes in there, and I'm not sure how you deal with it, but. When you're playing a team like Leipzig who have that aggressive press, who can put you under pressure and will look to do that early and often, you need somebody who can navigate that and get out of trouble and keep the ball moving and not get sort of overwhelmed by the situation. And that's why I really do think Marco Verratti playing any minutes in this game could be pivotal. Yep. All right. Yeah, PSG selection issues are going to be really, really interesting, right? Thomas Tuchel is going to... I think essentially it's not about getting it right. It's about getting lucky in terms of who starts (laughs) and doesn't, uh, you know, get tired or get injured. Let's run through through some other quick things, Tyler, that we're looking forward to. Um, I personally am looking forward to seeing Upamecano versus Neymar. So (laughs) Upamecano, the Leipzig centre-back, was dominant versus Atletico, right? But that was under... Um, a lot of aerial attacks. There's a lot of Atletico serving balls in from set pieces and so on. Against Neymar, and there will be a lot of Neymar versus Upamecano, um, it's going to be much more of what you call a ground game, right? Um, and I love about Upamecano that he is brave. He likes to get there first, and he has like a really high success rate of getting there first and knocking you off the ball. If, he's, if you're running at him, and even if you're faster than him, he is not afraid about stepping across you or putting in a big slide tackle because he backs in himself to 100% get it right um but against Neymar it's like there's basically Messi and Neymar are the two players that you have to be worried about tackling when they're dribbling at you because they can just suddenly change direction and disappear so I really am looking forward to seeing Upamecano uh tested by Neymar it won't be like Caldara for Atalanta because Atalanta essentially had Caldara just follow Neymar everywhere right RB Leipzig won't do that but there will be Neymar versus Upamecano at some point in this game and I think one thing you just said there probably connects to what Julian Nagelsmann was talking about with like the ball carrier and the amount of pressure that he's under. You want to get to Neymar as quickly as you can when he's receiving that pass because you don't want him turning and coming at you. Upamecano yes. did a great job against Diego Costa with that. He was physical enough to sort of knock him off his game but never got too physical to the point where it was maybe uh, like a battle of, of physicality that is not necessarily then the type of like intellectual game that maybe uh, Nagelsmann is looking for. But I do think you're right that sort of how quickly they uh, are able to shut down Neymar or put pressure on him or even if like in those first five minutes if we do see a big challenge on him just to let him know 
well. Like, hey, yeah. we'll go at you a little bit. I think, and then, yeah, that's, that's a pretty interesting matchup for sure. And then the other two things with Upper Meccano will be, if it turns out that it's just not a good idea to go charging in on Neymar, um, will he adapt quickly and you, you see like a more reserved version of Upper Meccano? Because he's still a young defender, right? And young defenders can often be a bit eager. It'll be interesting if he sort of changes it up a little bit and just goes a bit more conservative to contain him rather than to win the ball every time. Um, I feel like I, 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 I want to jump in there because I feel like we've sort of failed to connect a dot here, which we probably should have. It only just now occurred to me that Yuli Nagelsmann is, there's a decent chance, specifically talking about João Felix in this quote, isn't he? That like that yeah. is where Atletico's two, two best chances came from, was mm-hmm. them not putting the ball carrier, João Felix in that case, under enough pressure yeah. to then disrupt what he's trying to do. So I think maybe he is... The, you could extrapolate from that a little bit more than that he's saying that is the only vulnerability that I think uh, like Atletico Madrid were able to expose in what we were trying to do. So if we make sure that we pay attention to the pressure the ball carrier is under, then they don't even have that opportunity. So suddenly that connects even more. Mm-hmm. So now I'm I'm all the way all the more all in on Neymar probably dropping in getting that ball and then what do Leipzig do? How do they make sure that he can't sort of get that head of steam and go at the defense? Uh, so a couple more things I'm thinking about Upamecano. Everything I just said about Neymar versus Upamecano, true of Mbappe versus Upamecano. That's also that an absolutely um, thrilling matchup. And then obviously the other thing with Upamecano is his passing out of the back is magnificent. He really is great at, first of all, dribbling out of the back. He'll just take off sometimes and charge forward uh, with the ball fully under control. Or he'll do that thing where he'll like misdirect you with his hips and find a pass into midfield anyway. So keep an eye out for that. All right, that's uh, this has been the Upper Meccano segment, sponsored by <laughs> Dayot Upper Meccano. Uh, yeah. What else have you got on this game? So really it comes down to we look at Julian Nagelsmann and we talk, like, we talk about how interesting he is and he's so young but he's doing so many creative things. And it's really easy to forget that Thomas Tuchel himself is a very innovative coach who has had like a, a strong experience with Borussia Dortmund that obviously doesn't end particularly well. But I do keep going back to this idea that like PSG historically they – they run into problems here, or obviously much earlier in the Champions League, and I think sometimes that is managerial preparation and managerial approach. And every time I start to doubt PSG this time around, I remember Thomas Tuchel being there, and that battle is another one that I am really excited for in this game, is who's the first one to adjust in the 20th minute or the 30th minute, and then how does their counterpart adjust? What do we see differently coming out of halftime in the 60th minute and the 70th minute? All those little adjustments, I feel like both of these managers are very inclined to change things up quickly. And I think, especially with Nagelsmann, obviously, has the ability to communicate that effectively and the squad has bought in enough that they are then able to execute it effectively. So I think we'll see lots of different little adjustments and little changes. And then we've already seen with Leipzig that they can play any number of formations in any given moment. So all of that fluidity of style, I cannot wait for. Final thing on my list here is a man we didn't talk about much um, in Leipzig's last game because he just didn't have much of an impact against Atletico. But don't forget Christopher Nkunku. Christopher Nkunku is an absolutely magnificent player. Great on the dribble, can always spot a clever pass. And worth remembering that he was a PSG player until, what, only a year or two ago. He left PSG, I'm guessing mostly because he wasn't getting enough playing time because he saw all the big names coming in um, and joined RB Leipzig and has had an absolutely uh, brilliant spell with them so far. So Nkunku against his old team may be looking to prove a point, I think could be a thing to look out for. And he didn't have as strong of a game as I I maybe thought he would last time round, this time round. I don't think that happens twice. I think he gets into the game, and I I want to see him uh, remind PSG why he was 
why they maybe should have kept him around. Yeah, I'd say there's just not much space to operate in against nah. Atletico. He sort of played in Timo Werner's old position, right? Left yeah. side of, a, of the attack. And there just wasn't much space to exploit there. I think Timo Werner would have had the exact same problem that Nkunku did. There'll be mm-hmm. a bit more space against PSG just because they're obviously much more attacking because they're not coached by Diego Simeone. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything else you want to highlight about this game, Taylor, before we move on? No, I'm just I'm really excited for both of these games for sure. Okay, I, I've just realized I unfortunately won't be able to watch this game live because we'll be traveling to Boston. We'll mm-hmm. be driving. Maybe if I've got decent um, signal, I can watch on my phone. Um, we'll see what we can do. Luckily, um, I'll be able to DVR it using today's oh, sponsor, Fubo TV. That's right. And I think when we were driving back from the coaches convention last January slash February, whenever it was, uh, you were streaming the Man United Liverpool match via Fubo. Mm-hmm. I was driving, so I was not looking at the screen. Responsible. Uh, mm-hmm. But we did have it on. That is a way to go because Fubo with the app makes it really easy. I, I don't know how many clicks it is, but if you log in, I think that's probably you, you click the app. You have to log in. So you click that button. And then usually if you're looking for a big game, it's right there. So it's probably three taps and you're watching the game. There is a magical piece of software that Fubo uses that I wish other apps would use where you log into it the first time and you give your email and password the first time Mm -hmm. and that's it. It never asks for it again. Why can't all apps do that? You know, I never thought about that. You're right. So many apps I have had to reinstall and re-input that information or then it wants a new password or something like that. I have never had to do that with Fubo. I am logged in and I stay logged in and it's ready to go right away. It makes it beautifully smooth, right? I can open my laptop really and go to, go to the Fubo website. I can wow. just click the app on my iPad, on my iPhone, on my Apple TV, and it is there immediately. It's got my 500 hours of cloud DVR. It's got all the soccer channels you could want, all the ESPNs, all the Fox Sports it is, um, NBC, <laughs> NBC Sports, um, and probably some other ones I'm forgetting about as well right now. Oh, two-day NA, two-day NA, mm. of course, yeah. And as, as I've said in the past, sometimes I forget to hit DVR, hit record until like halfway through, and it will then uh, go back and record from the beginning. Sometimes I forget to record just entirely because, you know, I'm smart. Uh, and <laughs> in those moments, Daryl can then say, hey, like, you can log into mine and you can watch mine because I DVR'd because Daryl's responsible because you can have uh, three people watching at once with the family plan so you don't even have to worry about that sort of overlap. We could both be watching and it's all just good. Yeah, why do we even have two separate accounts? We could just share an account, couldn't we? Well, because otherwise you would see what my, my household views on the regular, <laughs> and I'm not sure I need you to know what we're DVRing, Daryl. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, if you would like to try Fubo, you go to fubo.tv slash TSS today and start your free seven-day trial. So you get seven days absolutely free. You won't regret it. And Fubo will remind you when the seven-day free trial is about to be up. They're not trying to trick you. They're just yeah. trying to give you um, a, a nice showcase of what you can get with Fubo TV. That's fubo.tv slash TSS. There we are. So thank you to Fubo for sponsoring this episode. Now let's talk about the matchup that we all knew was definitely going to happen, and we never (laughs) dismissed one of the teams, Lyon versus Bayern Munich. So this is 3 o'clock Eastern on Wednesday. Once again, CBS All Access and uh, Today NA. Lyon versus Bayern gets more interesting the more you think about it. Let's put it that way. I think like these are appropriate semifinals for the year 2020. <laughs> for how weird this year has been to have PSG make it to the semis, Bayern Munich less surprising, Leipzig certainly a surprise, Lyon probably the most surprised with how they managed to get here. Yeah, one of these teams is going to be in the final, right? You're either going to have PSG or Leipzig um, in the final for sure. And there's like, what, a 50-50 chance Lyon are there? Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not 50-50. Most people seem to think Bayern are the best team in the world 
right mm-hmm. now, especially after that 8-2 crushing of Barcelona. But what I'm really looking forward to is what happens when this all-conquering Bayern team comes up against a team like Leon, who are actually very good at defending and countering at pace. Because mm-hmm. Bayern step and, high, right? This is the thing yeah. I'm going to be watching for. Bayern get a lot of numbers forward. They step very high. Alfonso Davis goes streaming down the left. Um, and in this place, probably Joshua Kimmich, right? Because Pavard's still, um, still out. So Kimmich goes streaming down the right. And there's quite often just Alaba and Boateng over the halfway line. Thiago maybe sitting just in front of them. There's a lot of space behind them. Will Leon exploit that space? They will definitely try. They, they will absolutely try. And I think this is where, like, statistics are useful and confusing at the same time. Because I was looking at their numbers from that City game. Leon have 32 clearances. City only had 12. Uh, they only won 12 aerial duels, whereas City won 20. Uh, Leon went long very often. They had 66 long balls. They did not have nearly as many touches. I think City had double the number of touches of Leon. So I was looking at that and thinking, well, against Bayern, like, Bayern are going to be even more aggressive and even more aggro in their approach. And I doubt they're going to win as many balls in the air and then I remember it and yet Leon won (laughs) like so it's still like those numbers can be interpreted and should be interpreted and utilized but similarly I think when you recorded with Joe he was not sure what the expected goals were for that game at the moment I went back and looked it was 1.1 for Leon. They get three. Uh, they have six of seven shots on target, so they're incredibly efficient in that counterattack and ability to take those chances even when statistically they shouldn't be able to. So in some ways, it's like, yeah, Bayern may go for that aggressive approach, but the issue remains the same, that Leon are more than capable of hitting long and punishing you for it. So to some extent, I feel like Bayern could do exactly what they're going to do, but that also may play into Leon's hands. But then again, they could put them under so much pressure that they're not able to effectively hit those long balls, and it might then go in Bayern's uh, advantage. I think unless Bayern decide to tone it down a bit, and I don't think yeah. they will, because I just think they're kind of like they've got that dominant personality, that dominant feel about them. Then you will see some counterattack chance, chances for Akambi and for Memphis Depay, uh, maybe for Dembele if he's on um, instead. Um, and I think you might just see a lot of kind of foot races with uh, Boateng and Alaba and Kimmich mm-hmm. and Alfonso Davies uh, chasing people back, which is interesting because most of those players are pretty quick as well with Alfonso Davies possessing elite speed to be to be tracking back. So lots of interesting battles on the counter to look out for. The other thing mm-hmm. for me that makes it really interesting is Leon's midfield. Leon's midfield is hardworking and super combative, right? I think Bayern will have possession and they'll try and be dominant, but I don't think I don't think Leon's midfield will let them have it easy, right? You've got um, Auer in there, you've got Guimaraes, and you've got uh, Kakaret, who or Kakare maybe, who Kakare. I was I wasn't familiar with, but he um, dispossessed Manchester City twice for the final mm-hmm. two goals, right? He was an absolute menace uh, in central midfield. Uh, so Thiago, Thiago especially may not have it as easy as he had it against Barcelona, where the defensive pressure was coming from pretty much no one. To double down on that, one of the things that I will be looking for is will Maxence Kakare shine or falter? Uh, he's a 20-year-old right central midfielder who's been with Leon since he was 11, and to your point, like, yeah, I saw him be very good at kind of stepping and winning the ball and causing Man City problems and helping create those goals. So then I was looking at some clips of him on Wisecout, looking at his defensive uh, efforts, looking at how he plays there. And I don't think he's actually that good in 1v1 scenarios, mm. weirdly enough. I kind of expected it to be like, oh, he's like this kind of lockdown, hassling defender who can then poke the ball away and make something happen. 
But I saw him take some strange approaches. I saw him take some weird angles. And I saw him try to show people to one side. And to some extent, there were moments when it felt like as long as he was showing the attacker in one direction, that was all he was trying to do. Even when that attacker got by him, he was sort of like, okay, job done. So I doubt that's what he's being asked to do. And I doubt that that is the norm for him. So I'm not entirely sure what it is. Is he this sort of like lights out, causing problems, winning tackles, hassling opponents sort of midfielder? Or is he occasionally a, whoops, I forgot what I was doing, and now they've got an opportunity yeah. sort of midfielder so, right now because he is so young. So that's interesting. The two possession wins against Man City that led to goals were basically a, just blocking a passing lane and intercepting yep. a pass from Laporte, right? And then give it to Auer to, to do the magic pass. Uh, and the second one was essentially a sneak attack on David Silva, right? Yep. David Silva's trying to bring the ball down and Kakare just kind of slips in and surprises him and pickpockets him, basically. He's, uh, so he takes, he takes the ball like that. So neither of those situations are, you know, like a 1v1, I'm dribbling mm-hmm. at you type type situation. So I guess, yeah, with a 20-year-old player that we haven't seen much of because we don't watch that much Leon, I guess one of the big things to watch out for in a, in a Champions League semi-final is just how good is Kakare. Yeah, but I'm glad you, you brought up that one with David Silva specifically because I will say that what Weisscott did seem to show is he seems to have embraced that old coaching idea of as soon as the attacker turns their back to you, that's when they're most vulnerable and that's when you step. And he does seem very good at reading that and pouncing on those moments to cause problems and cause pressure for, for the opponent. So another reason why I thought Kakare was really, really fun to watch and I look forward to watching him try to do that against Bayern <laughs> Munich. Uh, try being the operative word there. Another player I have quite questions about if only because i haven't seen them at this high level very often is uh maxwell Cornet. Mm-hmm. um the i still think of, this is the reason i still think of him as a left-sided attacker yep. but he's probably going to be playing left wing back in leon's three five two basically setup yeah. and he's going to be up against joshua kimmich probably serge Gnabry, and then thomas muller over there like daughtering some round right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's a lot to deal with for Maxwell Cornet defensively. And maybe he'll surprise us all. And it turns out that really is a strong part of his game. But even against Man City, I kept looking at him as a attacking left-sided player who was just essentially willing to do the defensive work and track back. Against Bayern, it might be more like you're, in a, you're a left-sided player yeah. who's having to do a lot of defending. Yeah. I mean, I think it was when Rudy Garcia took over, that is when that change starts to happen. Because you're absolutely right that he was uh, signed and played as a left winger under previously owned managers. Uh, so it will be really interesting to see if he can just be a like shut down left back. Uh, you would assume that if he won that position and if he's got the backing of the manager, then there's some trust that he can. That said, if we see him start as a like the left sided attacker opposite, say Memphis, then maybe we have our our ruling that he cannot be counted on to handle the <laughs> Bayern Munich attack. Yeah, I'm sort of assuming that Leon will go with the same 3-5-2 just to have those three central midfielders and two strikers. Yeah, and and I think they will too. And and this is where I would say that like I was pretty dismissive of Leon against Manchester City and yeah, we I got, know we got emails about it. We did. And I know <laughs> that I am uh very much like possibly doing that again, but I think what I would say this time around why I feel like this is going to be Bayern Munich advancing is because I kind of disagreed with you and Joe a little bit that when you guys said that you didn't think Pep Guardiola like, tr- got it wrong, that he tried to do too much or anything like that, because I felt like he went with a 
very surprisingly defensive approach, not necessarily with the formation, but with the personnel. And it seemed like he really only had three, maybe four de- like good attacking threats in that team. And I yeah. don't think that is a mistake that Bayern Munich are going to make. I think Bayern Munich are more than happy to commit a number of attackers forward and get as many bodies as they can forward. Yes, that leaves them vulnerable to counterattack. And I think Leon will obviously cause some problems there. And I think they will get a couple chances on the break. But I think Bayern Munich, if they do have a much more attacking approach than Man City, I think they will have more success. Yeah, I think it would be a bit of evidence that maybe Pep should have not worried so much about having three defenders to to like deal with the two uh, centre mm-hmm. forwards on the counter-attack and should have just gone for it. If Bayern do go with just Alaba um, and Boateng as two centre-backs and just, you know, high pressure, push everybody forward anyway... Um, and it works, then yeah, that would be a strike against Guardiola's plan, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Anything else from this game that you are looking forward to seeing? Yeah, two things. Uh, one, I want to know if any of Leon's big name transfers get any minutes. Have you, did you read about this story? Because it became like one of my favorite things I read today. No, what's this about? So basically, uh, Juninho, that Juninho, uh, is the sporting director. Panambucano. That's the one. He made three of the club's largest purchases ever last summer. Jeff Ryan Adelaide, uh, uh, Joachim Anderson, and Tiago Mendes. All three of them on the bench against Manchester <laughs> City uh, because basically they have not been fitting with what uh, Rudy Garcia has wanted from the team. So they have not been playing. And it's this weird situation of the further they go, the worse it actually looks for their sporting director because the players that he brought in to make this big difference are not actually making any difference. I mean, and then there's also uh, Ronnie the, Adelaide had a, had a bit of a juggle against Man City. He was involved. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yes. Came on as a sub. Yeah. So that counts, I guess. Yeah. Um, but even that, I guess that's even what I mean is like, do they have an impact? Do those big names such as they are come on and have an impact? And do they sort of justify some of those expenses that were, or that investment that was put in? Uh, I look forward to that. I look forward to seeing how Leon deal with Bayern Munich because I think Bayern Munich are going to be aggressive. <laughs> and my other thing that I'm looking forward to keeping an eye on, obviously it won't happen with this game, but if... Bayern Munich were to advance. The other big story that I saw today that kind of made me chuckle, I will be keeping an eye on will Barcelona end up having to pay Liverpool another 5 million euros. Is that true? Is that true? If it is, I hope it is. So this is according to reports. And even those reports that I read were very like allegedly, maybe possibly, reportedly this is the case. But the reports suggest that the Champions League victory clause in the Coutinho transfer from Liverpool to Barcelona uh, was like did not specify he had to win with Barcelona. So there's an argument that if Coutinho wins the Champions League with Bayern Munich, Barcelona still have to pay Liverpool that fee because he did, in fact, win the Champions League. Uh, if I was Barcelona, I would at least challenge that in some sort of court, contractual mm-hmm. court. I, I've i got a feeling this is one of those weird like things that is funny to poke fun at a team on Twitter yeah. or Reddit about, but probably doesn't actually stand up. If nothing else, I feel like we will never hear publicly if they paid it yes <laughs> <laughs> like they will they will be like no it's definitely not real we'll give you six million just don't tell them that we actually gave you this <laughs> um final thing i'll be looking out for this is a tactical thing um man city did find a bit of space uh behind leon it's like that classic bit of space that's often available when you have a back three and wing backs where there is space behind the wing back and to the side of the like center back. You know what I'm talking about? So like yep. the um, right-sided center back, which will be Denier probably, and the right wing back, uh, Dubois, just in that little gap behind them, Raheem Sterling did a lot of running back there, right? It's where he ran to eventually get the assist for Kevin De Bruyne. And it scares me a little bit for Leon that the the guys doing the running down there for Bayern are Perisic, who's in great form, and Alfonso Davis, who ditto. <laughs> 
Who ditto, indeed. Yeah. And then maybe they just bring in Lee Rosanna somehow. Well, they'll nowhere. probably bring across Sergi Gnabry, right? Because they often do that. He'll Yikes. drift over. And yeah, so I think those little spaces, like outside of the center back and behind the wing back, when they're available, I think those spaces will get exploited. Um, one other, again, sort of bummer note, but I think it, it is one worth noting is. Uh, like there's, there was a lot of a lot of speculation. I saw a lot of like like Q and A's about the Champions League that were being asked, focused in on like how many of these teams are going to stay together, how many of them are going to go the way that Monaco team did a couple years ago, where they make the semis and then sort of get torn apart. Did they make the final? That Monaco team, they made the semis, yeah. right? Um, and and there's some question about a few of the different teams here. Leipzig, like a number of the players we mentioned, have just signed new deals or were just brought in, so they're not likely to move many people on. I think the same goes for Atalanta, who aren't really like a one-off thing. They've been doing this for a couple of years now. Lyon might be the exception here because they've brought in a number of players who haven't really worked. They haven't really recouped on the investment for the players that they have shipped out. And there are a lot of players in this team who I think will demand Big, big transfer valuations. I think Hussein Mawa, uh, who we've talked about a little bit. I think Cornet could be another one. You've got a number of players in there. Even Memphis Depay could maybe get another move if Leon are, like need those funds, need to be able to reinvest to bring in more more sort of like consistent performers across the board. Not criticizing any of those names I just mentioned, but just some of the underperformances from the other big-name transfers. Like, Is this kind of the last gasp for Leon, who we should also note – uh, because Ligue 1 finished uh, prematurely, finished seventh, are not in any European competitions next season. So then do they really, really like go for it as much as they can? Because if they qualify for the Champions League, maybe some of these players stay around and they get that bonus. And if they don't, then do these players move on? Well, I think that will all be pretty compelling. All they've got to do is win the Champions League and they're back in it. There you go. That's yeah. what I'm saying. They're only, so two, like, they're only it, two games from Champions League qualification. Yeah, but like I think, and I don't want that to come across as like they'll be extra motivated. Like I don't really believe that can be a thing. No, but I you're, so, you're, you're sort of saying Douglas Adams style, last chance to see, maybe. Yes, exactly. And you, you know what? Right. You're not even seeing the the main thing, the real thing, because Lucas Tassar has already left. Right? Exactly. Lucas Tassar was with them until um, when the team came back for the Champions League restart. He's already uh, made his move to Berlin. Right. So mm-hmm. I think Kakare is essentially taking Lucas Toussaint's spot. He I, got to move to Berlin. I like the, uh, yeah. <laughs> I like the look of um, Leon's youth system, though, the way these kids keep coming through. I think mm-hmm. if Leon have to sell a bunch of guys, there's probably just a load more people right behind them. <laughs> it, it would make sense, right? Yeah. They're, they're pretty good in that regard. Yeah. Um, anything else to add on this game, Taylor, before we Mm-mm. talk NWSL? Uh, no, but I will predict nothing and I will say nothing because I don't want anybody to get mad at me again. Smart. Let's just watch the games and review them. Yeah, That's fair. Um, all right. Let's talk some NDWSL. There was some big sure. news. Um, Sam Mewis of the North Carolina Courage is no longer of the North Carolina Courage. She signed that one-year contract with Manchester City over in the Barclays FAWSL. I want to give them credit for the sponsorship. Um, and Rose Lavelle has been traded from the Washington Spirit to OL Reign but basically on the, the understanding that she's going to be playing overseas and the strong, strong rumour almost guaranteed is that she'll also be signing a one-year contract with Manchester City. So two US women's national team superstars leaving NWSL for the FAWSL, sponsored by Barclays. First of all, well done there. Second of all, this might be a question that I could find if I just like go to Meg Linehan's Twitter feed and find the relevant article. But I'm always interested in these types of moves because like, how do Rain become aware that this is a possibility? Do the spirits say she's going to I, uh, a European team? So does anybody want to write if she comes I back? Am, like, how does that happen? Yeah, I'm pretty sure the NWSL is a small world, right? Yeah. Where everybody knows each other. Everyone's only probably a text away. 
and you can set up deals like this pretty comfortably. Should we talk? Mm. Should we talk Rose Lavelle? F- Actually, let me just explain the Sam Mewis one first because I think it helps sure. explain the Rose Lavelle one. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so the way this works is because Sam Mewis was a U.S. soccer contracted player um, who is then what's the correct word? Not allocated. They don't use that word anymore. We figured this out earlier. Um, but then essentially assigned to yep. North Carolina Courage, right? Um, she can go to Manchester City and then North Carolina Courage retain her rights. When Sam Mewis comes back to NWSL, she just goes straight back to North Carolina Courage, right? That's right. The, the simple version of this. Yes, yeah? that's correct. With Rose mm-hmm. Lavelle, part of the idea of the trade is that if she comes back to the NWSL after playing for Manchester City, she will now go and join OL Reign, right? So for mm-hmm. Reign, this is a long-term thing where they're thinking, okay, we don't get her now, but she's going to come back at some point and then we'll have Rose Lavelle. And for that, they were willing to give Washington Spirit $100,000 in allocation money, which you can spend on the, on the squad, and the first round draft pick in 2022. So yes. I think this is actually a pretty good deal for the Washington Spirit. I mean, in terms of they're getting something for a player who was going to leave for sure, yes, it is the Rose Lavelle who... Like, we should remember, they gave up Mallory Pugh because they couldn't have the number of people they had, and they stuck with Rose Lavelle. Like, so I think in that regard, to then have to, like, go back to the drafting board to get some money, and yes, it's good, but it is certainly not Rose Lavelle. It's not going to put butts in seats the way she certainly would have, the way she certainly did. So I think that is... Definitely a frustrating thing. I think Spirit fans have been pretty upset by the move, even if it wasn't sort of like they just traded her away. It's that she was probably going to go. Uh, it also is worth remembering what the OL in Rain stands for. It connects to our previous conversation about Lyon because it is Olympic Lyonnais, and it is, again, them having foresight here. It is them having money, certainly. I think that's where that sort of partnership really works in their favor. But it's also the awareness of, yeah, she might be gone for a season or two or three or who knows, but she will come back and she will still be very good and we will want her in our team then or we will want the opportunity to have her in our team or maybe flip her for other parts and other pieces when we need them. But it is very good long-term vision from Rain. who it's not as though they are dominant in the league and can just throw these things around. They did not have the strongest of tournaments. They've struggled to score goals and I think they could use that money to invest, but I think they've gone a different way and I think it will be really interesting, but it's shows that foresight that maybe is is part and parcel of Lyon at its core. So I want to look at the bigger trend of this as well, which is NWSL players heading to Europe, specifically to the uh, Barclays FAWSL. My, right, now it's a bit much. <laughs> now I think you're getting paid by that. <laughs> My take on this, I haven't seen anyone specifically say this, but this just makes sense to me, is that NWSL had the Challenge Cup. They're going to do some sort of like a handful of games to close out 2020. But it's not that many games. Whereas the FAWSL is starting a full proper season on Saturday, the 5th of September. And you are going to get to go to Europe and play a bunch of proper competitive games. Like no fans, obviously, because they'll be doing it the same as the Premier League. Um, So if you're just a professional who wants to play soccer and the Olympics are maybe a year away now, right? They're going to be in 2021. It makes perfect sense to me why Sam Mewis and Rose Lavelle would want to go and play in England because games are being played. Yeah, and I mean, and then I know people will get frustrated when we go political, but so be it. Like, it is the case that right now, if you're given an opportunity to go play 
in England for Man City, where you're going to make a bunch of money and potentially play in the Champions League. Uh, but then also with the situation with coronavirus as it is in the United States, like we don't know what the reopening is going to look like when the league resumes or what, yeah. like, are they going to be forced into another sort of uh, NWSL Challenge Cup situation? Will players be sort of asked to play even if they're not comfortable with it? Whereas I think precautions have been better taken in Europe. So I, I do think it yeah, the numbers in that regard as well. The numbers in the UK are obviously a lot lot better than they are here. Yep. That's, mm-hmm. not, that's not even up for debate, is it? Right, exactly. Yeah. So, I, I, yeah, the, it makes a lot of sense to me because you sort of can more or less know what the structure is going to look like. You can rest assured that you will probably be playing in the Champions League with Man City, given the investment they've put in and how strong they're probably going to be. So I think I think it makes a lot of sense, and I do think we'll probably continue to see player movement. Uh, the question then becomes, how does U.S. soccer feel about that? Well, yeah, so the only bit of, not even evidence, but the only like respected writer that I quickly Googled and could find talking about this was uh, Howard Magdal writing for Forbes, who Mm -hmm. says there's the open question of how eager Vlatko Andonovsky, the US coach, is to see his top players in NWSL, which was a priority under the Jill Ellis administration, which is a reflection of the thing we kept hearing, but it's never been fully reported or said directly, right? That Jill Ellis was very much about keep US players, stay in NWSL if you can. I think because it just made them easier to um, to gather for camps. It made it easier to make sure they didn't have conflicting club versus country duties, right? Because NWSL, NWSL would always give them up um, to US soccer. It seems that Vlatko isn't quite on the same must-stay-in-NWSL uh, uh, sort of path. Yeah, and I am fine with that. Yeah, I think so. It does It does somehow weaken NWSL a little bit to to lose... Because these are the star players in NWSL, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think it's just good for these players' careers to just to go and play in other countries and challenge yourself. And it does increasingly look like women's soccer is going to be dominated by the teams that spend money. And Manchester City have just gone on a spree, right? They've got yeah. Sam Mewis, Rose Lavelle. They just signed Lucy Bronze and Alex Greenwood from Leon. Yeah. So they got both of England's yeah. fullbacks. So it really just looked like Leon, what Chelsea, where Sam Kerr went, Manchester City... Arsenal have, got Arsenal. The, Arsenal have got the Dutch players. It seems like there is a sort of European um, mm-hmm. sort of elite emerging. And it, it would be a shame if the U.S. women's national team players weren't part of that. And maybe Sam U.S. has always wanted to play for Manchester City. You never know. But it's Sam U.S. who is with the North Carolina Courage, who won the regular season slash postseason, the non-NWSL uh, Challenge Cup seasons uh, back-to-back. So I'm going to assume that she was enjoying her soccer. I'm then going to assume that she was offered a decent amount more money yes, to go play that. for Manchester City. Yes. And I think that's the other major thing. Is It is not as though every player in women's soccer is like fairly compensated or well compensated. So any opportunity these players have to go make that extra money, I cannot begrudge them that. Yes. I mean, I don't know the figures, but I do know that if you're a a federation player that plays for an NWSL team, you're getting probably around six figures, right? So a good salary for, for most people, but in the world of professional soccer, you can always earn more, right? And I get, I would guarantee that a team like Man City with their resources is uh, uh, giving Sam Lewis and Rose Lavelle really good contracts for this year. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't know the numbers at all. Don't get me wrong. But let's say Sam Ewis is on 150 a year. She makes $150,000 a year. 
Man City can double that, and that is still like less than the weekly wage of probably some of their men's players, <laughs> like like yeah. for the year. So yeah, I do not think that they would bat an eye at bringing in some of the best players in women's soccer for two hundred thousand dollars, three hundred thousand dollars a year. I think they can definitely handle that. And the good news is it means just more roster spots in NWSL, I guess, mm-hmm. right? So if uh, U.S. women's national team players lose, there are uh, leave. There are plenty of like college, like up and coming college players or recently graduated college players um, who. Would, would love to play in NDRSL and are perfectly capable of doing so. Yeah, there you go. So maybe then yeah. it gives more opportunities because you've got a, a couple open spots for a couple of new players to come in and make something happen or players that were already there to find that success. And then, yeah, we've got Americans winning the Champions League and playing in Europe and showing England how it's done. <laughs> Fingers crossed. We'll see how they do in the Barclays FAWSL. <laughs> all right taylor anything you want to add when does the we... check come in daryl when are you getting paid for that i can't tell you i've got to not tell you that's part of the deal <laughs> <laughs> that's fair i guess one one thing worth mentioning before we close up lutz van and Steel, um mm-hmm. has been named as i believe the job was sporting director um at the st louis um expansion team i've forgotten the name of yep. it is it just st louis sc i think it's it's a sc or fc yeah st louis it's city a, it's St. Louis City. St. Louis City, yeah. It's a, it's a confusing abbreviation. I know that much, yes. or acronym. You can tell yeah. I definitely did my research, right? St. Louis City <laughs> SC is what the MLS expansion team is going to be called. So Lutz Vanenstiel, formerly of Fortuna Dusseldorf, um, is going to be essentially, I imagine, overseeing the, the roster build and the construction of mm-hmm. that team. That seems like a really good appointment from St. Louis, in my opinion. It does, because... Everything we know about Lutz and I've heard from Lutz, I think he likes different challenges. He likes trying yeah. different things. And I think I have the faith that he will be very good at familiarizing himself with the like very strange rules of Major League Soccer and finding loopholes. And sort of he strikes me as a person who will enjoy finding like, well, this verbiage contradicts this one, which means that we can actually have seven DPs. Like, I think <laughs> he will be very good at those types of uh, that type of maneuvering. And I'm excited to see it happen. One thing, though, St. Louis Zoo, lock up your penguins. Put extra security yes. on your penguins. Yes. Well, he, he, we don't want him borrowing penguins. We not stealing. Not. Doubling down on that one. <laughs> borrowing. All right, Taylor Rockwell, we will close by saying, oh, I won't be on the, uh, the uh, Leipzig versus PSG review. But you've, yeah, you've you're got spend, a, spending that Barclays money. You've got a special guest coming in to, uh, to review that game with you. I'll be back for the Leon Bayern review on Wednesday, traveling to Boston for treatment. I, I guess listeners, long-time listeners will know the cycle by now, right? Yeah, <laughs> once, so. once every four weeks. But I'll close by saying, Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Hey, buddy. Yeah. Right back at you. Aw. Listeners, thank you for listening, and the Total Soccer Show will be back very soon. 